On this week's show, a secondhand seller turns $157 into $4.4 million, but then finds himself on the wrong end of a lawsuit. We've also got updates from USPS, Etsy, eBay, and more. What is up, Galaxians? Welcome to episode number 220 of the Galaxy CDs, Rocks and Flips Reseller Talk podcast. My name is Ryan, and I will be your host. My apologies for this show being a little late. I was feeling a little under the weather yesterday and uh, not necessarily feeling so great. <laughs> uh, actually, today, but uh, so forgive me if my voice sounds a little bit off. I'm dealing with a bit of a head cold. So. We've got uh, some interesting updates coming from uh, USPS, who's going to hit media sellers and buyers once again. Uh, look at some things going on over at eBay and Etsy. But we're going to start off with a really interesting story from over in Europe. News updates. So this article appeared over on Artnet, and I have been thinking about this. <laughs> All week long. So I'm, I'm going to just run through the article and then we'll go over my thoughts on it. And uh, I definitely want to hear what you have to think about this particular situation. So an elderly couple sold a quote unquote worthless African mask for $157. Now they are suing the buyer who auctioned it for $4.4 million. The couple has accused a local antiques dealer of cheating them out of a fair price for the rare object. This legal case is making its way through a French court system and is raising questions about whether a person who sold an artwork or artifact later determined to have a much higher value can seek further compensation. Obviously, this is a very extreme case in terms of the numbers involved, but this is something that we as resellers essentially are dealing with pretty much all the time. Items that we buy for very low value and sell for significantly higher value, and that's why this caught my attention. An unnamed 80-year-old woman and her 88-year-old husband came across an African mask while clearing out their second home. While most of the contents of the home went into a garage sale, they decided to sell the mask to a local antiques dealer who agreed to buy the mask for 150 euros, which equates to about $157 in September of 2021. Months later, they discovered through reading the newspaper that their mask had just made 4.2 million euros or 4.4 million U.S. dollars at a specialized auction in Montpelier. As it turned out, it was a rare fang mask used in rituals in an African secret society. The object was brought back from uh, Gabon by the husband's grandfather who had been a colonial governor in Africa in the early 20th century. After several legal moves and counter moves, an appeals court in France determined on June 28th that, uh, that their case against the dealer, quote, appears to be well-founded in principle and has frozen the proceeds of the sale as the case continues. So the money is currently tied up by the courts. The couple's argument hinges on the suspicion that the dealer had a good idea of the true value of the object when he bought it from them. The antiques dealer did not display the mask at his shop and instead contacted the auction houses uh, Drouot Estimation and Fauve Paris, which estimated it to be worth about 1 to, two, 1 to 120,000 euros and 400 to 600,000 euros respectively. So a pretty broad range there of potential values, even from people who were more expert than the guy who originally bought it, which is interesting. Despite these valuations given by the two auctioneers, 
he went on to seek a third opinion from a specialized sale of African objects in Montpelier after ordering analysis using carbon-14 dating and mass spectrometry. The mask was dated to the 19th century, and an ethnologist expert appraisal revealed it was used for purification rites in the Njil Society, a secret society that operated within the Fang ethnic group until the late 1920s. The auction house placed the mask for sale with an estimate, again, between three and 400,000 euros. The mask was sold for $4.2 million at an auction in March of 2022. The company's lawyer believes it is possible to cancel the sale due to their error in believing the mask to be, quote-unquote, worthless, Lamond reported. The newspaper cited other cases, such as the owners of paintings by Nicholas Posen, which were misattributed to a lesser-known painter before they were later authenticated, resulting in those contracts being nullified and the owners obtaining restitution. This case has already gone through several stages, stages, the article says. The antiques dealer initially offered to settle out of court by paying the couple 300,000 euros for the mask, but they were not able to reach an agreement because of opposition of the couple's children, who, of course, want their cut of this deal. The couple then filed their case, with a judicial court in Alais seeking an injunction to seize the proceeds of the sale as well as damages. The court initially authorized a protective seizure, which was carried out by a regional bank in southwestern France back in May of 2022, but the lower court ultimately decided with the antiques dealer and released the funds back to him and ordered the couple to pay him damages and other fees in the amount of 3,000 euros. The couple, of course, appealed the judgment to a higher court in November. The respondent is a secondhand dealer who unequivocally offers an appraisal service on his website, the couple claimed, according to the documents. Only a person with a perfect knowledge of the art market is capable of mounting a sale through an auction house after having requested a carbon-14 expertise and enlisted the help of an expert in African masks. The defense argued that the dealer is a secondhand dealer and not an antique dealer and cannot be considered an evaluation, evaluation rather professional. He has no knowledge of African art. They added that he sought the expert assessments at the initiative of the auctioneer, not because he had reason to believe it held value. The case remains open. Um, 3.1 million euros currently being held after the deduction of the costs and the capital gains tax, which have already been paid until a judgment is made. So, this is, again, it's an extreme case, and it maybe isn't necessarily a traditional retailer, mom and pop, somebody working out of their basement like I do. But this is something that I come across on a fairly regular basis, though, again, not to this extreme. I buy books all the time for a dollar, two dollars, three dollars that I know are worth 20, 50, 100, maybe several hundred dollars. And To be fair, I don't think twice (laughs) about it, and I'm interested in your take on it as well. This this couple had an opportunity. All this technology is out there. They could have done some further research. Same with when you go to an estate sale or a garage sale. Those people have made the decision that this item is worth a dollar or five dollars or whatever the number is. And they put it out there for sale and they sell it and people move on with life. I'm curious what you all think, and you can let me know in the comments below if you're watching on YouTube, or as always, you can email me at galaxycds at gmail.com, or there should be a link in the podcast show notes where you can actually leave me a voice message, which I may play in a future episode if you do that. Um, Where is that line? What's the amount at which you would feel as a reseller an obligation to point out to the person at the garage sale 
that the item they're selling for a dollar might be worth significantly more money than that. I'm not, if a seller, if a, somebody at a garage sale, I just had this happen a couple of weeks ago. I was at a sale where an, an older woman was clearing out a bunch of books. And I, I talked about this. She let me into her living room to go through her collection beyond what was actually in the sale. And I selected a bunch of books and her daughter at one point came in and said, what do you think these books are worth? And I very honestly answered her. A lot of the ones I've picked out here are going to be items I'm going to sell for 10 to $15 a piece. So I'm willing to pay one to two bucks a piece for them, probably tops. There are some other ones that I'm going to have to do some further research on that are probably worth more money than that. And I will offer you more money than one or $2 for those books. And we ultimately agreed on a price that worked out on average in that purchase for about $3 a book. Some of them I paid a dollar for and some of them I paid five or $6 for. That's fair. If you, if you do the initiative as a seller to ask me a question, I will give you an honest answer. Now, the likelihood of me coming across something that I think is worth tens of thousands of dollars or more is probably pretty slim. But in the case that I did, I probably would try to work something out with that person and say, hey, you know what? I'm not uh, like with this case, this person had knew it was worth more than $150 clearly, or he would not have sought expert advice. But even the best estimators, including the auction house, only ultimately valued it at about 10% of what it actually ultimately sold for. So you can still be an quote unquote expert in the field and be way off the mark on that. But I probably would say, hey, you know what? I think this book probably has a value in the range of whatever. Let's just say it's a five to $8,000 book. I can't pay you today what it's worth. You can keep it and try to sell it yourself and go through all that rigmarole. Or let's do a consignment deal and a whatever, a 60-40, 70-30, whatever we can agree on split after fees once the item is sold. So I, if I came across a situation like that, I probably would try to make some effort to make it right. But I, I'm not sure I feel like this particular situation, the person has a leg to stand on. So again, let me know in the comments below or feel free to reach out. What are your thoughts? What's, is there a limit at a point where you would say to a seller, Hey, you know what? You've got this thing priced for whatever it is, 50 bucks. And I think it's probably worth a couple of thousand. Uh, maybe you want to do something different or as is the, my case generally would be that person had the same opportunity that I have to look it up on eBay, to just do a Google search for it and find out some information about it. And if the seller doesn't do their own due diligence, I'm not sure it's my responsibility to save them from themselves, as it were. So again, let me know what you think of any of that in the uh, comments down below. Now to some more kind of traditional reselling news, and it's bad news for uh, buyers and sellers of in particular, media items, at least at this point, USPS is going to raise rates again in January of 2024. Now, this is we talk about this again with some regularity. The post office has gone to a uh, twice yearly price increase. This is the normal January increase that we usually get. As I reported a couple of weeks ago, we got lucky this year. There's no holiday surcharge from the post office, but there is this January charge coming up. As of this point, it's only for what's considered market dominant things. So this is first class 
kind of letters and whatnot and media and periodical mail and those sorts of things. This is not the new USPS ground advantage or priority mail package shipments. So I would expect that we'll probably see a price increase on those. I would guess sometime in the next few weeks. Uh, but for now, it's just these two. The United States Postal Service will raise rates on January 21st, citing, of course, inflation. It last raised rates on July 9th of 2023. This postal rate hike includes a two-cent increase in the cost of mailing a first-class letter from 66 to 68 cents. Sellers who rent post office boxes or purchase extra insurance or use other services, those are all going up in January as well. The post office says the Postal Service is also seeking price adjustments for special services products, including certified mail, P.O. box rental fees, money order fees, and the cost to purchase insurance when mailing an item. They cited inflation and blamed past pricing practices in Friday's announcement. This is something I've talked about before, particularly as it regards media mail. I Media mail, even with this price increase, is still a pretty good value to ship a one-pound item clear across the country for... It's going to be a little more than four bucks, not to spoil the lead, but we'll get into the actual rates here in a minute. Uh, but media mail rate has always, for me, been a great deal and probably undervalued. And the post office is as much as admitting that as inflationary pressures on operating expenses continue and the effects of a previously defective pricing model are still being felt. These price adjustments are needed to provide the Postal Service with much needed revenue to achieve the financial stability sought by its Delivering for America 10-year plan. The prices of postal service remain among the most affordable in the world. A spokesperson for USPS told e-commerce Bytes, where this article appears, prices for media mail library are proposed to increase by approximately 4% again. Uh, there is a chart here, and I will link to all of this in the show notes and the video description below. But media mail, going up about... It depends on what weight it is, but somewhere between 17 and 21 cents per tier. So medium mail rate is broken down at the one pound increments. The first pound, the up to one pound weight right now, you can ship for $3.92. That's going to 413, so a 21 cent increase. The two pound rate is going from 467 to 487. The three pound rate is going from 542 to 561. Four pounds is going from 617 to 635 and so on. So, again, it, it's 20, 20 odd cents plus. You're going to pay eBay or whoever 10 to 15% more on that 20 odd cents as well. So, another, call it another two or three cents. So, if you're doing free shipping, this is another pretty hefty increase. It's going to be. It, 25 to 30 cents or more per shipment in more in shipping and fees. Again, it's like I talked about. This is why I changed to the customer paid shipping model some time back. Uh, this is scheduled to go into effect again in January. So be prepared for that media sellers. If we get an update on ground advantage and priority mail, I will of course bring you that information as well. Here's something that I noticed a couple of weeks ago and to be fair, eBay can be so glitchy that when these things come up, I generally <laughs> don't really even think about them all that much. And it wasn't super consistent. Some listings, it would it would do this and other listings, it wouldn't. eBay is belatedly telling sellers it has tinkered with product attributes. Uh, the eBay selling team posted a thread announcing it was running a test of a, quote, reduced set of item specifics in the listing flow. 
I noticed this particularly popping up for me in the antique and collectible book category where a, a lot of the item specifics, not the required ones, but the recommended ones were missing in the initial listing flow. So things like publisher and some of those things that I generally try to fill out. And I would open that listing back up once it was finished, go into the item specifics, and then those things would appear and I could add them. Interestingly, though, there's a seller who says that those edited attributes will not stick around. Uh, eBay, for their part, says we've heard from our sellers that item specifics is one of the most complex parts of our listing experience. You don't say. <laughs> uh, as part of simplifying the listing flow, we are testing a reduced set of item specifics optimized for the selling and buying experience. As a result, in select categories, some sellers may see fewer item specifics to fill out when creating a new listing on web or mobile. We're actively monitoring performance and taking seller feedback into consideration. One of the things I assume they're probably looking at is how many people are doing what I'm doing that have become accustomed to having those particular item specifics in there and are editing a listing post its creation to add those things back in. Uh, we're constantly evaluating how to make listing on eBay easier, and we will keep you informed about any site-wide listing changes. Feel free to leave feedback or comment below or via our survey during the listing process. Uh, one seller said after the new force test forced them to go in after listing an item and edit the item specifics. Another seller warned any item spec that you add after the listing go li goes live will not carry over when said listing rolls over in 30 days. I've never checked this. I haven't tested it, so I can't verify that myself. But this seller says item specifics added in to a listing by editing that listing after it's live. So things that are added not in the initial listing flow don't roll over after 30 days. I don't know why that would be the case. I'll have to, I guess, do a listing and flag it and go back and check and see if it actually does that or not. But this seller says those item specs will disappear like it never happened. Another seller said, I just want to add my voice to the people who think this is terrible which is interesting because most people complain about there being too many item specifics, but this has been my contention all along that they are valuable information, especially in some categories. This person is a shoe seller and said not having the option to put the shoe with item in the item specifics, just terrible. Clearly not thought through. The buyer on eBay is not like a buyer anywhere else. This is where buyers go to find very specific things that they want. A Brooks Beast at medium width can command $40, while a 4E commands 120 a made in the usa pair of vans can bring 140 dollars while made in china is only worth 20 this is going to hurt buyers and sellers looking for hard to find listings but ebay has already proved they do not care one bit about those types of sellers and buyers now i would just disagree with that statement their whole focus is on these kind of halo categories if you will like collectible sneakers and handbags and i would think that more item specifics is better in that uh, in those categories and i'm surprised that ebay is even testing using less of them in those categories but to just categorically say that ebay has proved that they don't care about those out of hand is to me just a complete <laughs> overreaction the article concludes it's odd to see that after many years of conjoling and pressuring sellers to use item specifics ebay would suddenly change its tune and that sellers would be the ones saying how important these product attributes are. So again, let me know if you're watching on YouTube in the comments below what you think of this change. Have you noticed it in your listing flow? Uh, it, it's something that I had seen and didn't really think much of, but apparently it is a test by eBay. 
Last thing, uh, eBay has taken, <clears throat> excuse me, some small business owners to Capitol Hill lobbying for a higher 1099K threshold. This is the gift that just keeps giving. This news just will not go away, especially as we get closer to tax time once again. Last week, Capitol Hill became a focal point for discussions on small business and tax reporting as, me- as members of eBay's Small Business Ambassador Network met with key eBay executives and members of Congress. The central topic of discussion was the 1099K reporting threshold and its implication for casual and small business sellers on the eBay platform. The discussions, they said, highlighted concerns that the existing tax reporting threshold, which, as you may recall, is $600 or more, might dissuade individuals from initiating businesses on eBay due to the complexity and burdens associated with this new lower threshold. Um As I talked about either last week or two weeks ago, there is a lot of conversation going on in what is currently a pretty broken down uh, House of Representatives about changing this program, this tax law, once again to something closer to its original $20,000 threshold or somewhere in between. We'll see how that goes, but eBay, for their part, had some small business owners uh, at Capitol Hill last week lobbying this program from eBay establishes a crucial link between their sellers and policymakers, ensuring that the latter comprehend the potential impacts, both positive and negative, of proposed legislation. eBay acknowledges the value of having a committed group of sellers who are prepared to pause their business operations momentarily to share their narratives and emphasize to lawmakers and their teams the criticality of formulating policies and legislation that boosts small businesses. If you'd like to learn more, and I will link to this article and all of these in the show notes and the video description below, you can learn more about the eBay Small Business Ambassador Network or exploring opportunities to serve as an ambassador or to participate in future what they call advocacy days uh, by clicking the link that is in this article. So uh, good on eBay and all these other sites for trying to fight for the small guy and get this thing raised. Hopefully we'll get some relief on that. So that is your reselling news for this week. Let's get into some what's sold. So it was not uh, a fantastic week <clears throat> here at the Galaxy last week. <laughs> uh, if you follow me over on Instagram at Galaxy CDs Rocks, I did sell a lot of listings last week, but it was a lot of low value stuff for me. I sold, I think, a total of 87 listings, but my eBay sales dollar volume was way down. It was down probably 22, 25% versus the prior five or six weeks. So a little bit of a rough week over on eBay. Etsy, however, was really good to me. So it all kind of came out in the wash, but eBay was definitely off the boil last week. Still some interesting items. This first one. The Revelation Verse-by-Verse Study by Oliver Green. This was a 2001 printing of a book that was written many, many years ago uh, about the book of Revelations. I picked this up at a garage sale about a week ago for one thin dollar. Had it listed for $21.99 or best offer. Sold it on a best offer for 20 bucks. I talk about these, I feel like, every week. These old... Uh, mechanical engineering and heating and air conditioning textbooks I find probably every week or two out at estate sales where people have these books from the 20s, 30s, and 40s, and I almost always grab them. This one is Radiant Heating and Radiant Cooling and Snow Melting, written by Tom uh, T. Napier Adlam in 1947. It was an illustrated hardcover about 
radiant heating, cooling, and uh, melting of snow. Some things I, <laughs> I frankly had no idea about. Interesting book in really good condition. I picked it up in an estate sale for $2. Had it listed for $24.99 or best offer. I sent out an offer to a watcher for $21.24 at 15% off. And that's what it sold for. For selling over on Etsy, uh, Building the House of God from 1928. It's an illustrated hardcover from the Methodist Book Concern written by Albert M. Conover. Interesting old book that I picked up in a big lot. I own it for, gosh, maybe 16 cents or so. This thing sold for $24.99. Plus, again, media mail shipping. Hey, what do you know? Another book, 30-Year History of Programs Carried on National Radio Networks from 1926 to 1956. This is a hardcover. I talked about the big lot of McFarland Press books that I bought at a sale. It's probably been six or eight weeks ago now. I paid a couple of bucks a piece for them. If you can find them at anything like that price, I would grab as many of them as you can. I only left a handful of them there that didn't appear to have much value. But these things have been really, really strong. Again, two bucks in it. I uh, had it listed for $29.99 or best offer. Received an offer of $25 and sold it. Another one of those uh, kind of engineering books. This one from 1954, Acoustics by Leo Baranek. Uh, this was part of the McGraw-Hill Electrical and Electronic Engineering Series. I... Again, these are books that I almost always grab because they're always worth somewhere between 18 and 40 or $50. This one sold for $32.99. Plus, again, media mail shipping. I'd pick this up at an estate sale for a buck. Another religious book. This is from a, a pretty big purchase I did in an estate sale. I'm into this for a couple of bucks. Uh, Nahama Leibowitz, New Studies in Bereshit Genesis in the Context of Ancient... And then the title is cut off because it was entirely <laughs> too long. Uh, this was a fairly recent reprint of this book, hardcover with its dust jacket in very good condition. Uh, again, own it for uh, about a dollar and sold for $34.99. Another religious book. It was a big week of uh, religious sales. This was the Neil Wallace Discussion on the Thousand Years Reign of Christ. It was published in 1933. A uh, hardcover in fairly good condition. It's essentially a transcript of a series of debates between these two gentlemen. And I, I, again, part of a big lot that I own for uh, under 20 cents. This sold for $34.99 plus shipping. Uh, yet another religious book. I picked this up uh, at an estate sale a couple of weeks ago for $2. Our Daily Bread Meditations on Passages of the Bible for Every Day. This was published in 1898, so this is a fairly old book. It was actually in pretty good condition for a book well over 100 years old. Had it listed for $39.99 or best offer, received an offer of $35, and sent this thing on its way. Huh, what do you know? Another religious book. <laughs> uh, the Illustrated Holy Bible with Helps, the American Standard Version, uh, Pronouncing Edition, published by Nelson Publishers back in 1929. This was in fairly rough condition. The leather was folded over and creased and damaged and flaking. It was pretty rough, but this is a fairly unusual book. These old 
kind of 1920s through 1940s era leather Bibles do really pretty well. I had picked this up for a couple of bucks at a garage sale a couple of weeks ago, had it listed for $44.99, sent out an offer of 15% off and sold it for $38.24. Older Bibles, anything pre-1980, I will generally go ahead and pick up if I can get them for a buck or two. Newer ones, not so much unless they're some of the really kind of high-end study Bibles. But most of these old Bibles, other than, you know, the ones you see at all the sales that were given out by the Gideons, <laughs> a lot of these old Bibles can bring pretty remarkable money. And now your flip of the week. The last uh, item I've got for you this week, I picked this up at an estate sale, gosh, probably two months ago, along with a whole bunch of kind of vintage books about tractors for $2 a piece. This is the original Alice Chalmers 1933 to 1957. It's an illustrated hardcover with its dust jacket. It was written by uh, two guys named Andy Kroshar and Guy Fay. Again, uh, when I see just random books, things I feel like I've never seen before, I always look them up. And I saw this big bin full of these old tractor books. And I know there's a thing for old like mechanical equipment, tractors and old steam engines and all that kind of stuff. So I looked these books up and again, going back to our original conversation, discovered that many of them were worth anywhere from 80 to 125 or 150 bucks. So I just built a big stack of them. I took them downstairs and I bought them for $2 a piece. I didn't say anything to the seller about, Hey, you know, this book here is (laughs) potentially worth a lot more money. They have the book in their possession. They had the opportunity to do some research I go to sales all the time where, and you've been there too, where you'll walk in and you'll immediately see uh, screenshots printed out on paper of eBay pricing for items. Kudos to those people. They did their research. They know what that item is valued at. They know what it's worth and they're trying to sell it for that price. I do not begrudge those people one bit for trying to get market value for their item. Will they get it? Are they more likely to sell it if they price it at a dollar or two? Absolutely. But I, it's their item. If they want to try to get $40, $50, $80 out of it, more power to them. I'm not going to buy it because for my purposes, it doesn't make any sense. But if a person who wants that book walks in there, they haven't been able to find it anywhere and they see it, they may pay that for it. So I, I know a lot of resellers really get upset when they go into sales and see things like that. I'm not one of those. I was at a sale just the other day where there was a whole shelf full of vintage and antique books that I would love to have purchased for a couple of bucks a piece, the price of all the other books that I bought at that same sale. But they had taken the time to look these books up and they were priced at or near market value. More power to them. I hope they sold them. They didn't sell them to me. But in this case, (laughs) uh, as I said, I just took the stack down there. I gave her my whatever it was, $80 or whatever that I spent at that sale on a big, big stack of books. And I priced this thing at $99.99. Uh, received it. Actually, I had it on sale. I'm running my Etsy store. I just started a sale there the other day at 10% off. And somebody snapped this thing up for $89.99 plus shipping. So kind of a long story on that one. But let me know how you feel about that. When you go into a sale and you see those you know, eBay printouts or you see items that you would normally want to purchase that are priced kind of at or near their eBay values or their actual market values. I know it's frustrating, but don't you, unlike the elderly couple who sold the highly valuable, worthless <laughs> African mask, I have a lot of respect for those people who put forth the effort 
to find out what the item was worth and to try to extract their maximum value for it. I, I have no issue with that. I see a lot of people posting thrift store pricing has gone up as well. A lot of Goodwills have kind of gotten on the program that a lot of the stuff they have is worth more than a dollar or two. And they're, hey, they're a business trying to make money too. And they're now trying to extract that money out of it. Does that make it tough for us as resellers? Absolutely. But Goodwill does not owe us as resellers. This is probably a controversial hot take, but they don't owe us a good deal. They owe their employees and their shareholders and whatever else the maximization of their profit potential. And if listing a video game for $14 instead of $2 allows them to do that, far be it from me to begrudge them. They don't, they don't owe the reselling community great deals, in my opinion. So it does make it harder to source, and I understand people's frustration, but I can't personally fault these companies or these estate sellers or you having just a garage sale trying to maximize your profit potential. Uh, if you want to do the work and do the research and find out what something's worth, you should be, I guess, rewarded for that. So let me know what your thoughts are on that or any of the things I shared with you today. As always, thank you for spending a little bit of your time with me. This, Whatever I'm going to say this morning because I'm recording this on Monday morning. <laughs> uh, but whenever you're listening, I appreciate that you've taken some time uh, to spend with me. If you got anything out of this episode or just found it interesting or entertaining, do me a favor and hit that thumbs up button if you're watching on YouTube. If you're not currently a follower of the podcast or a subscriber to the YouTube channel, please consider doing that. And please share this with any of your like-minded reselling friends that you think might find some value in it. With all that having been said, I hope everybody has a great week. And now it's time to sell. Thanks, guys. You have been listening to the Galaxy CDs Rocks and Flips Reseller Talk podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we will catch you again next time.